everybody, and welcome to episode eight of Web Security Warriors. Uh, I am no longer your host, but your announcer, AJ O'Neill. And today we're going to be talking about tunneling, specifically OpenVPN, S-Tunnel, SSH, other cool things, perhaps. Um, and I'll turn the moment over to our, our host, John. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We have here uh, our hosts. We have AJ, who already introduced himself. And we have Lance. Hello. Who we can't hear at the moment. Oh, there he is. And we have Guy. Surf's up. And as AJ said, we're talking about OpenVPN, S-Tunnel, and, and things like that today. And we're just going to start with... Um, I know that AJ has recently been doing some work with uh, S-Tunnel for one of his uh, projects he's been working on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, AJ? Um, yes. Well, OpenVPN, but also S-Tunnel too. A couple of... Yeah. So I'll just give a brief overview here, and you guys correct me if I if I mistake, but OpenVPN is, or a VPN in general, a VPN is, is this idea that you have some sort of private network that's behind a firewall. So say, uh, primarily, I think you, you have like your office, and you have some resources on that private network that you only want to allow people that are physically in that area to be able to have access to, like maybe a printer or uh, a file share service that has some login, right? And then, so a virtual private network is when you're sitting in McDonald's and you tunnel in using some sort of hopefully encrypted program, which almost every VPN I've heard of is by default, but some of them you can turn it off. Anyway, um, so you you connect to some demilitarized computer inside of the network that's hosting the VPN. And it, it gives you an IP address from inside the private network. So from inside the office network. So if you check your IP address while you're sitting at McDonald's, you'd see that you have your office IP address as opposed to the McDonald's Wi-Fi IP address. Yeah. It's like a virtual network adapter on your computer that routes all the network traffic over your internet connection to another point through a secure encrypted channel. It gives you all it gives you access to all the network resources that you normally would. If you had a printer in your office and your computer knew what that printer was, you could print from McDonald's if, you know, you were connected and okay, yeah, I see that printer over there and then you'd be able to print to it or access network shares or whatever. That's that's kind of the, the nice part about it all. So if you're a little more and if it's just opened up and letting everything if it's letting everything through, it would do that, but you can configure certain things to pass through or not. Right. The thing about the VPN is uh, I mean, I use it. That's you know, I, I work from home and I uh, connect to the universe via VPN and, and have been doing that for years. The big problem with that is and the cool thing about it is that you can connect to work and log in and do whatever you need to at any time. What sucks about that is you can connect to work and log in and do whatever you need to at any time. You know, you, you the VPN doesn't allow you to get away from life or from work to where you probably should or you need to. You don't get to do that as much when you have the VPN. Sometimes the uses of VPNs scare me because, well, I mean, we've talked several times before that physical security, relying on physical security, being inside a building is a bad idea. So the idea that you would have to use a VPN in order to gain access to certain things kind of makes me feel like maybe those things aren't secure as they should be because they should be just as secure if you're sitting inside the office building as if you're sitting outside of it. Um, so I, what I've ended up using a VPN for is actually to do the reverse, to open a network rather than to close it. But I'll I'll talk about that later. Yeah, I like to call the, uh, open VPN or just any VPN like networking duct tape. It's a good way to get two networks together, connected, and traffic flowing between them. What's a secure connection? So that means that no one can sniff in between it, but you can get two resources communicating securely. Um, it is used a lot to kind of open up networks. Um, and a lot of mistakes people make is that they just, you know, we set up like a, a open VPN connection with just a simple username and password or just a pre-shared key instead of going through the certificate authority and doing all of the, issuing all the certificates and then doing the proper firewalling that's usually required to prevent um, 
people on the VPN from accessing resources that you probably didn't intend for them to have access to. But the cool thing with OpenVPN is you can set up a VPN connection between anywhere. So if you have networking issues between um, two servers or clients or just anything in general, you can set up an OpenVPN connection as long as you have an open port somewhere that the two servers can communicate. And then it's like they're on their own network and all the services and all the communication between those two sides is encrypted. So I want to know a little bit about how the protocol works. Because this is what I know. I know that by default, OpenVPN uses UDP. And I know that it has special VPN packets that it runs TLS. It wraps TLS with the VPN protocol as opposed to normally you're taking TLS and wrapping some other protocol. So HTTPS is HTTP wrapped in TLS. But OpenVPN is OpenVPN wrapping TLS, wrapping something else. Yeah. One one big mistake with OpenVPN that a lot of people make is they think it's compatible with IPsec. And OpenVPN is not compatible with a standard IPsec um, connection. And that's usually was the old way of doing um, VPNs. So if you want to have like an OpenVPN user connect to an IP, IPsec VPN, you kind of have to create a bridge and do some routing and do some fancy stuff. But um, the thing about OpenVPN is it can run on TCP or UDP. And so what it does basically is it just takes your normal TCP uh, traffic and encapsulates it, encrypts it, and just does a normal SSL um, connection, starts up an SSL socket between you and the other site. And then it will um, encrypt those packets, those TCP packets inside UDP, uh, UDP packets. And send those out. You want to use UDP if you can. The only reason you'd want to use TCP is if UDP is being blocked for some reason. Because when you encapsulate TCP inside TCP, um, you kind of have issues because the packets of the way that just the TCP protocol works in itself and it slows down the VPN a lot. So ideally, just for performance-wise, you want to use UDP. Additionally, um, OpenVPN has a feature with the TA key, the TLS key, which will actually encrypt the UDP packet. The nice thing about that is it makes the VPN transparent to scan. So if there's any anything, any packet comes in that's looking for an open port or listening, looking for a process that's listening, you can just drop those packets because they're not being signed by the TLS key. So I would strongly recommend using it because it also helps prevent any DDoSing or anything against your VPN service. So t- tell me a little bit more about that signing because I've seen, yeah. I, I, so for what I was doing, I actually was tunneling through HTTPS. So I was wrapping, well, I wasn't tunneling through. I, I was running TLS on port 443 and running OpenVPN through that over TCP. And I actually turned off the signing and the encryption because it already had encryption on the... Um, the TLS, but I'm I'm curious if maybe I should have left the signing on. Like, what's the relationship between the the two? Well, like like I said, the signing is mainly used to prevent um, anyone who's not a authorized user from sending packets to the system. It's just kind of like a quick check to see, oh, okay, this packet's not encrypted. Ignore it. Um, so the benefit with that is that you can put OpenVPN on a different port or just have it on a port sitting there and then if someone's scanning on the internet looking for it they won't be able to see it because they don't have that ta key so if you've already got the port open there's probably not a lot of benefit in using it so i I think if you're running two services on the same port like a 443 or we were just tunneling the open vpn um, traffic through a like an s tunnel or something like that so i will tell you i will tell you the story here of how this kind of got started so I was working one day and I decided that I wanted to go be around people because sometimes working in your bedroom is kind of lonely and you just want to like have some more windows and have some more sunshine and have people that are walking by. So you feel connected to humanity instead of like a programmer in your basement. Right. So I went to the, the Provo public library and they have a very obnoxious firewall there that happens to be open on port 5050 for some strange reason but has pretty much everything else except for 80 and 443 blocked. And I found 50-50 just by random happenstance because I happens 
to be lazy and hit the middle of the keyboard. And I like repeating numbers. So I happened to try port 5050 and it happened to work. And I'm guessing the person that set it up was feeling the same way when they chose that port to be open for whatever they were using it for. Anyway, but I wasn't able to SSH out to the servers that I had on port 22. I wasn't able to get the work I wanted to get done, done. So I got really angry and I started Googling about how to solve this problem and ended up using Haproxy and OpenVPN and S-Tunnel and SSH SOX5 in different combinations to find every possible way to get any connection that I wanted over port 443 through TLS. So that's that's the story. Yeah. From what I've heard, um, if they've got a layer, if they've got a next gen firewall, which is doing um, layer seven identification, it's basically they're trying to identify whether using you know 443 is actually using SSL or some other protocol. If you wrap OpenVPN and S Tunnel, then it looks like just standard web traffic. The only way to really detect it is that there's a larger amount of traffic going through to one specific place than normal. So that's one way I know of that a lot of people will bypass firewalls is they will set up an OpenVPN server. Um, so in this case, like if, if they're setting up the firewall correctly, they'd only allow outbound 443 TCP, but sometimes they'll allow UDP, which like I said, that you get better performance with UDP, but it's always nice to kind of set up an outbound TCP, you know, open VPN connection that's running on 443 or an S tunnel socket that's running on 443 so that you can just tunnel out of their network and then get onto your you know, road wire setup or whatever you have on the BPS or other. VPNs that you have so you can just bypass the entire firewall network and all they see is encrypted SSL traffic. Yeah, so I I think I used S-Tunnel. I have to log in to go and check, but I think I used S-Tunnel and I used um, SNI is not supported by OpenVPN, the server name indication, but you can have support with S-Tunnel. So I had S-Tunnel pass SNI for TLS and it went through to Haproxy on the other side, and Haproxy matched the server name indication and then sent it locally to OpenVPN so that I was able to, to get out. And then I'm using my home network, and that has a couple of advantages. One, if I need to change ports on my router because like I want to start up a new service on the server that's inside of my home, I can actually access my home router through OpenVPN and then log into it and... Um, change the settings, but that's also pretty easy to do using an SSH proxy. If you know, you can get through to port 22. I prefer using open VPN connections over just SSH connections. Cause I feel it's just a little bit more secure. So I'll, what I usually do when I have systems, that I want to administer remotely, I'll set up an open VPN connection. So I'll have one server, then I'll have those servers connect to that server. And then I'll set up, um, keys and uh, key client passwords for myself and then I'll just connect to that server and then I can SSH or administrate them however I want. And the advantage of that is is because open so OpenVPN is kind of like virtual like a virtual machine but for networks it creates a virtual network. So the network that you connect to it'll give you you can set an IP address and so all the machines that connect to that OpenVPN service will be on that same subnet. And so it's basically you can have additional ports open or have other things open that you can directly connect to. So like if you wanted to connect to like a database server, you could directly connect to the database server instead of having to set up like an SSH tunnel or anything like that. And then it's also secure since you're, you know, you're the only one that can connect to the OpenVPN server. And so all that traffic is going across there to that server is encrypted. So I'm going to, I'm going to argue a little bit here. I disagree that, because I disagree that OpenVPN should be viewed as a good security layer. That I think that your connection to your database should be encrypted no matter whether you're inside the network or outside of the network. Because from the way I've heard it, a lot of these hacks that happen are internal. Somebody gets inside, plugs in a device on the inside of a company, and then is watching traffic on the inside of the company and gaining information that way. So I, yeah. I would say that any communication between servers should be treated as if they're going over a hostile network. Um, mm-hmm. Not, yeah, not saying that OpenVPN is good enough to secure the database connection. 
Yeah, well, I'm talking about doing administration access, not about production access. So in the event allowing someone to go in and do configuration and things like that, um, I, I find it's a lot easier. Now, if you're talking about like a production setup where you have two servers, you have a web server and a database server, you'll want to use uh, encryption between those two systems because, if they, like you said, if they get access to the internal network that's in the production system, they'll be able to sniff all of that database traffic. So if you've got sensitive data, um, it'll be all seen in clear text. And so that kind of leads into the um, 2S tunnel, which is kind of a utility that I use a lot to encrypt my web server connection to my database server without having to do all the SSL setup like with MySQL that requires you to tie certificates to usernames and things like that. You can just easily set up an SSL connection um, on a different port and you can have your uh, web application connect to that port, and then the S10 will take care of all of the encryption between that server and the database server, and it's completely transparent to the application, so you don't have to do any special setup on your web application. You don't have to do any special setup on your database server. The only real disadvantage of that is, you, again, you have to make sure that you have your TLS um, settings set up correctly and they're securely set up. And then you have to generate a certificate authority and make sure that you keep that certificate authority secure, which is another another um, problem with OpenVPN is a lot of times people will set up a certificate authority on OpenVPN and leave a certificate authority on the same server as their VPN. So if their VPN server gets compromised, then all of the keys and everything have to be regenerated because the uh, original CA key that generated the certificate as compromised, so now you have to set up the entire thing. Whereas if the OpenVPN server gets compromised, all you have to do is reissue a new certificate for that server and then revoke the old one, which I definitely recommend if you're using OpenVPN, go through the process of revoking the certificate so you're familiar with it because when you need it, you need to do it, you will need to do it fast, and you won't, don't want to have to spend time figuring out whether you did it correctly or not. So going back to the original question, saying yes, I strongly recommend encrypting the database connection between your web server and your database server. And you can use OpenVPN for that connection, too. Um, I don't recommend it as much because it creates the point of failure because OpenVPN kind of requires that all the traffic go through the OpenVPN server. So that OpenVPN server kind of becomes a router and a central point of failure. So if you're trying to go for high availability, um, you'll need to set up two OpenVPN servers and make sure that, you know, your connections can go between the two different systems. So in the event that the OpenVPN server crashes, you know, you're not losing everything and all yeah. the connections and everything. Yeah, and I like S-Tunnel seems really simple because you're basically just specifying like, I want traffic. You, you, you're running a, a client and a server. And on the server side, you're saying, I want to accept traffic encrypted on this port, and I want it to be transparently put to this other port unencrypted. So something like MySQL, neither the application that is the, the, the database client nor the database server have to be aware of S-Tunnel. And the change that, that you make is instead of going to uh, mydatabase.com on port 2208 or you know whatever, you're going to localhost on port 2208, which is being encrypted through S-Tunnel as the S-Tunnel client, and then decrypted on the server through the S-Tunnel server, and then being redirected to whichever port is necessary. Yep, and that's that's a nice advantage of that. So, you know, going back to OpenVPN, so I wouldn't recommend, you know, handing out an SSL S-Tunnel to a developer or someone who needs access to the database, that's where OpenVPN kind of has its strengths. Because it uses PKI, the public key infrastructure, and uses certificate authorities, and it's really nice for that, you know, authorization and availability. So that if I need, like, so-and-so is like, oh, I need to get to the database, you can be like, okay, here's your OpenVPN certificate and, you know, credentials and everything and so then they can get connected easily and then have the connection to the the 3306 socket or whatever database socket they need to get to or the web socket or any other resources that you want to maintain that's hidden for that so it kind of gives you that advantage of being able to do user and authorization administration so another one to talk about would be an ssh socks proxy so 
Do you know much about that and like why, how that's a different solution from these others? Yeah, I've used, I've used them in the past. So the SSH pro- SOX proxy is basically you just use SSH with a dash D command. And then it'll open up a local port on your machine and you can use that as a SOX 5 proxy. So basically anything that's got SOX 5 compatibility can then be tunneled through your SSL connect or SSH connection, excuse me, and be sent out to whatever server that you're connected to on the other end. So it's it's kind of a nice solution because if you don't have OpenVPN set up, you don't have anything set up, you can just use your SSH credentials and go through and connect to the server and then, you know, basically connect your browser to that SOX 5 proxy and then all of your traffic appears to be coming from the server that you're SSH to. Um, another cool thing that's kind of not well known about SSH is the SSH reverse shell. So what you can also do is kind of like an S-tunnel setup. You can set up a reverse shell so one of your, your ports on one of your local networks or your local machine, you can redirect that to the remote machine. So if you set up an SSH reverse tunnel, you can connect to that port on that outside server and connect in. So it's another way that you can kind of bypass the firewall or get past security implementations if you needed to get access to an internal server. So that's why I'm sure, um, you know, if you're in security, you see an open SSH connection can be a big concern. So I also, on that proxy server I set up, have SSH running over port 443 as well. Um, I'm not a Wireshark expert, but I do believe that you can tell the difference between the SSH connection and SSL. And that's what all the new next when you hear about next-gen firewalls, they're all talking about doing layer 7 um, uh, identification. So basically, they're identifying what protocol is running on which port. So they can say, oh, this guy's running SSH, or this guy's doing SSL, or this guy's running you know, standard web, or he's running FTP, or things like that. So in the higher security environment, they'll actually go down to the um, application layer and look at the packets and see what types of protocols you're using. So if if your goal is to bypass a firewall and you want to look like SSL traffic, the best thing you can do is set up an S-Tunnel because S-Tunnel looks the most like um, HTTPS traffic. Yeah, so the only thing that is discoverable there is how long the session is open, how much data is going through, and if server name indication is turned on, what the the subdomain that you're connecting to is. Yep, and that's one of the, the features that Tor implemented is that it runs, so Tor runs everything through SSL, kind of an SSL tunnel, and when it connects to the Tor network, it actually will generate a random SSL URL to connect into so that it's more difficult for system administrators to um, write rules that detect the traffic and block tour traffic. It's kind of an interesting side note. Um, I well, let, let me just jump in here. Um, I'm a tour fanatic and uh, used it, use it, still do, but um, they were compromised. The whole thing had been compromised, what, about a year ago, I think? And so, just a quick caveat, not everybody is in it. I mean, it hasn't been compromised like Ashley Madison, but uh, Tor is not uh, the the secure world that it used to be. So, uh, you can still use it, but just be cautious that, you know, it's a lot less secure than it was in its usage. And, you know, so if you are going to use it, uh, which... Believe it or not, it, it is in high use right now, even watching it now. It's in real high use in these countries that are, you know, Middle East and whatnot. There's just lots of tour traffic going on out there because these guys don't want to be found. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want their own governments fighting out what they're doing. And that's tourist way to do that. That's what it was built for. And it's uh, its most popular usage even now is still in Iran. So uh, just like we're saying... The Iranian Gestapo there have not figured out a way to uh, block it. So, you know, Tori's useful, but it's still, it's not the best thing out there anymore. Well, I, I personally just don't believe in anonymity. I, I think that you cannot have both trust and anonymity. So trying to encrypt something and be anonymous, they seem to be at odds. Yeah, then 
the, the two kind of seem to be at polar opposites because you to encrypt something you kind of have to you know you know have trust between the two endpoints but to be anonymous you know you can't know who you're really talking to so to kind of hide what you're doing and also have an immunity you're, you're kind of creating a paradox well it, it depends on who you want to be anonymous to you may not want to be anonymous to the to the person you're communicating with and then once you have a secured encrypted channel that you're sure is anonymous to those who are maybe observing, then at that point you can authenticate and you can trust each other. But you don't necessarily need to authenticate to everyone in the world or who wants to look at the connection. Right? Well, um, let's see. I'm, I'm putting this in. Go have a look at this. I don't know if anybody's played with this one before. It helps eliminate anonymity helps you track down a little bit better just based on uh, who you who you're talking to you can collect the text you know the emails or whatever and put it in this tool and it'll give you a better idea to solidify who you're who you're talking to um i've used it don't ask how or why but i've used this thing to say okay am i really talking to a man or a woman on this you know i, I I'm, I'm getting you know, I just need to kind of wrap my head around the person that I'm getting this information from. And uh, this tool right here, this uh, gender guess, believe it or not, it's, it will help to, uh, uh, I guess, what, disarm some of those things. But yeah, just anonymity, man. It's one of those things that everyone's fighting to do right now. And this is a tool that helps eliminate that. So. I got it off of Black Hat tools, actually. So apparently it's pretty good use. With my little test text I put in, I am 100% male, which is interesting because I had somebody um, do a, they were doing a study at, at school and they were taking people's text messages and having them go through text messages. And I was placed in with the females based on my text messaging. Wow. See, I was collecting, I was just putting in, like, I, cut and pasted several emails in there and it was about 70% correct with uh, who I was dealing with. So, so that was one of the interesting things to know to try out. I, I had been told this, you know, you could actually glean the gender of a person based on what they're writing and that's what this would do. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but kind of scary that the human psyche can now be digitized so, but we've digressed from the VPN business. So, let's, I'll let you guys get back to that. That's oh, all interesting information. I knew Tor had some um, issues with being compromised, but you're saying now that it's pretty, it's pretty uh, monitored. I imagine it's monitored by the U.S. government, but is it pretty easy to determine who's on the other end? Um. Well, it was built by the Navy. And it was very useful for, I mean, uh, without saying a lot, I mean, there were guys that were literally buried in country and had to be able to communicate out and, and to be secure about it. And there, I mean, there's plenty of things like that where it was, in fact, a secure channel. So if somebody was watching you, they couldn't see it. Uh, they had been compromised and it was very, very difficult in how they did it. And it wasn't identified enough as to who did it, other than it had been, and they said how. But there's still no real who can see what you what you've got going. You know that that's the thing. I mean, they said some of the uh, some of the endpoints and stuff like that are, you know, people have been setting up these relays and testing them and breaking it and all that just to choose, so just so they could figure out ways to. Uh, monitor what's going on but yeah i mean it, if you're to say the nsa's in it i yeah they probably are right i mean they're probably got thousands of relays out there that people are going in through and they're just kind of watching everything go through there i don't know i just i i could probably go and dig up the information that i have and see what can be made available to the public on that about tour being compromised but uh, we were all told to no longer use it for you know, for some of the stuff that we do. So, so do you use like ITP or what do you, uh, can you disclose what you use? No. I figured. What do you think about ITP? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't use it. <laughs> so I, I can't really see much about it. I, I, I mean, I'm not using it. So, um, hmm. but uh, the the tour business, I remember people were trying to remember back when the big scare came out about what, two, three years ago about people using, uh, uh, tour to do their bit torrents and stuff like that. And I mean, there were some, I was like, that's kind of a wacky thought. I don't know why you would use tour to do that. There's other ways to, to do your yeah. bit torrents and whatnot, but it, it was, it would just, it got messy. I remember it got really messy for a lot of things when people were trying to see how far they could push it. But um, I have used Skype over it. I've used a lot of other tools over it. But, you know, is it where you have to go and do a lot of tweaking to, to make all that happen, too? So, well, that's, that's one of the advantages of ITT is it actually does have support for torrents and other things. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it's actually got a, a plugin for it so you can. Um, run your torrents, but basically you can run any, I think you can run any protocol over ITT. Um, they've got like a different way of uh, anonymizing and securing your traffic. But I haven't, I haven't spent too much time playing with it. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'll have to take this sucker down and play with it, see what I can do. So there's, there's just a lot of, I don't know, again, anonymity is a big thing and security is a big thing. And yeah, how can you, uh, how can you live with both? You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard if you want to be anonymous. It depends. Like, uh, John was saying, you got to decide who you want to be anonymous from. If you want to be anonymous from the government, you should probably just walk away from your computer. Right. Yeah. Go, go live in, uh, Monticello, Utah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Then, then you'd be pretty out there. Um, sorry, go on. I, I had a different thought. I'll just, uh, I'll just wait on that. So I was, I was looking on ITP, and they they have a uh, thing here about benefits of ITP over Tor. So I guess you could combine the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. So, but I can be anonymous. I mean, I've got a Guy Fox mask. Of course, I would have to with the name that I choose. But yeah, I, I could be anonymous like that. But I... <laughs> come on, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Please tell me that you know what I'm talking about. The anonymous. I know of what you're talking about. Yes, the anonymous collective. Oh, that, yeah. Yes, yes. They they started off as. Uh, a group of activists trying to shut down Scientology, and the only way to do it was to be faceless. So the V for Vendetta mask became kind of the standard, uh, you know, uniform for those guys. And uh, after a while, they moved into, as we all know, a lot of the other illegal activity, a lot of the protesting, the hacktivism. But uh, the the two things that they're going strong on continually is hunting down child pornographers and bothering the Scientologists. So that's that's what Anonymous still sticks to as far as, you know, th- those are the original things they were into. So. so if they are Anonymous, how do you know when it's them doing something? That's the question. Uh, that's the thing is that you don't you know if you ever go watch their their webcasts and stuff i mean there's a thousand people up there putting stuff up there saying that they're anonymous you put a guy fox mask on you put it up there and these guys were using tor actually to uh, upload them onto youtube you know i mean nobody in swaziland south africa whatever is going to be speaking with an american accent and have a Guy Fox mask, you know, uh, go up on YouTube, but that's where YouTube got the video from kind of thing. But yeah, they would do that. And then at the very end of every message would say, we are anonymous. We are a legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us. That was what was at the end of every message that they put out. But again, you know, copycats everywhere, right? It was, uh, it was a pretty hairy time for a lot of people. I personally found it rather exciting, but you know, uh, that's just me and my paranoia and all of that. So, so I'm trying to figure out like what the advantage of a SOX proxy is over 
for VPN. Basically, all I can really think of or, or find is that with the SOX proxy with SSH, is, you know, it's already built into SSH, and you can just set it up really quickly. VPN, OpenVPN, on the hand, you have to do the client certificates and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, the thing I like about OpenVPN is that I can I can set my computer to just route all my traffic to OpenVPN. So um, if I have a, a VPS out of country, you know, and I want one server, one client to specifically have all this traffic go through that VPS, then I can um, set it up to just route everything through that. It's all encrypted from that machine all the way out to that VPS, wherever it is. What I heard oh, is you're watching episodes of Sherlock three days before the rest of us, because your VPS is up in England, isn't it? it, it it's close, close to there. There's, yeah, there's I've considered a, that myself. Yeah, Sweden um, I, I usually really good because they have really good laws, uh, internet usage laws. So I like to have my VPN connect up to Sweden. So that's one place that I recommend because it's got good uh, support and it's kind of a, a friendly, friendly nation, both for you, the money that you're sending them. Which I, I pay for my VPS is usually with Bitcoin, um, just because I feel like that's a little bit more secure way of doing it for me. Have you been to Sweden? I have not. At some point, I'd like to go. Yeah, I've. Uh, it's Sweden is a is a neat place. Uh, loved it. Um, that when you get in from Copenhagen, if you drive over the bridge from Denmark, uh, all of Southern Sweden looks like Southern Idaho. Um, it's just odd. I was just driving around going, what is this? And then you go further North and it turns into looking like Oregon, but, uh, Sweden is a fabulous place. Uh, just it's, it is, it's, it's like a time warp in a lot of ways. And in other ways you're, you know, so much further ahead. But uh, if you're going to go to Burger King or McDonald's there, to feed three people will cost you about 40 bucks. So that's that's a big warning there. It's not as expensive as Denmark, but Sweden is very, very expensive. So, um, I mean, so, you're, 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 well, you're telling the world that you log into the Internet from Sweden, right? So it's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's nothing that the U.S. government probably isn't aware of already. Well, now when I see that Swedish IP address, I know who it is knocking on my website. <laughs> yep. So we're starting to uh, hit our time here. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about with, uh, with well, the so, subject matter at hand? So uh, I was using, geez, some, uh, again, back when I was in the commercial world, there was, uh, we're using RSE tokens to authenticate into, you know, like it, we had a, a little key fob jobby that would, you know, we would, it would update the number every minute. And we had to use that with our own code, log in and all of that. And as I recall, that became the less popular thing for VPNs. Uh, isn't it? I mean, anybody want to chime in on that? I just remember one of the big defense contractors had an office in Salt Lake and the Chinese had gotten the RSA algorithm. And so they started breaking into that, that, uh, you know, defense contractors networks using, uh, these RSA tokens that were out there, uh, you know, that they had come up with and they had successfully gleaned quite a bit of information out of there. Uh, what does open VPN have against that? As far as being more secure, less secure, or well, OpenVPN relies on your own certificate authority. So as long as um, the PKI infrastructure is secure and your certificates are secure, so for you to connect to my OpenVPN server, you I have to issue you a certificate. Right. So if you don't have that certificate, um, you're not connecting. As far as I I know of, and that I don't think there's any real way around that unless there's some vulnerability that would exist with open vpn or some flaw with the you know the public key infrastructure which i imagine if that existed we've got bigger problems than your your vpn connection right yes so another advantage of that is if you you throw in the ta key there so that um all you know so you have the ta key you have the, the certificate 
And you can choose to have non-signed certificates or passive protected certificates additionally. And then you can also tell OpenVPN to uh, authenticate using PAM. So you have, you know, you kind of have a, a lot of two-factor options there. So you have the certificate, something that you own, and then the password, something you know um, on the certificate itself. But if that gets compromised, then you can still restrict access via the um, user credentials. Also, I think I was just Googling really quick. There's a UV key. So if you wanted to have like an external token generator, you can connect OpenVPN to UV key via PAM, it looks like. So there's a lot of, of security features that you can kind of add into OpenVPN to make it more secure. But the security of OpenVPN relies on your ability to secure your um, PKI infrastructure. So securing that private key that you generate making sure that that's not being stored on the server that's running the OpenVPN and that it's not uh, somewhere that someone can get access to it and generate their own certificate. Like, you know, um, under the uh, water bowl for your pythons in the cage, that's a good place to keep it, right? Yep. Keep secure your $20 with your <laughs> EKI infrastructure. No, I, I had a couple hundred bucks sitting in there at one point. You know, I, I knew that was the safest place for it to be. But yeah, it's, okay, how, sure. how, how creative can you get with doing this stuff? Because you know that eventually, like in, in five years, everything that we're talking about today, right now, what we do, what we use, will all be considered obsolete because somebody's figured out how to get through. I, I don't know about that. I think that um, we're not going to find a way to predict prime numbers. Although, I, I I mean, we found a way to probabilistically determine whether or not a number is prime, which that blows my mind a little bit. So I guess it's possible we could find a way to predict prime numbers, but I don't think that's going to happen within the next five years. Okay. And as long as we can't predict prime numbers, I would say that RSA is pretty darn secure, no matter how fast processors get. Yeah, unless you can invent a, a processor that can simultaneously compute every single possibility within seconds. Like, even even the quantum computers will not be fast enough for RSA keys that are like 2048-bit. Yeah. Even the theoretical computers that don't exist yet that are theoretically a billion times faster than what we have cannot break. Well, RSAs. I don't know, man. There, there's that one... Theoretically. Yeah, well, there, there's that one big computer down there in uh, Riverton, Utah, right? There, like, I, I don't know. I haven't been in there, and I've only heard that it's not a stack of computers. It's one big monolithic monster that that does it all, you know? So. Oh, really? I thought they were denying that. Oh, uh, no. I, I heard it was just one big beast, you know? So, um, that. Again, I you know I, I don't think any of us would get in there to see it, but um, if they've got that, that'd be a pretty cool thing to you know. It's also scary for what it is and what it does if such exists, but um, different different topic. Yeah, I was going to say if you, you do end up seeing it, might be one of the last things you do see <laughs> before they put a bag over your head, right? Yeah, but b- before they put a, a black uh, abduction mask over your head and drag you off. <laughs> well, with that, I on think that we can note. go to picks <laughs> on that pleasant note. Yes, exactly. Uh, does anybody uh, want to start with the picks? Anybody? No. AJ. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you some picks. So I will pick. So there is a module for Node that does. Um, one-time passwords. It's called NOTP. And I just had some fun playing around with it. It's it's the same, it's the exact same algorithm as every authenticator app. So Microsoft Authenticator, Facebook Code Generator, Google Authenticator, uh, Authy. Oh, and I really like Authy. Their, their app is probably the best of all the authenticator apps. And I think they have the same app and the same experience on the most platforms. Even they have a Chrome plugin for their for their app, um, but so it, it's just a little library that I found because I I wanted to be able to add two factor or multi factor authorization to some authorization stuff I'm doing right now. 
Um, and I didn't want to like wait forever to put it in because it'll be one of those things that always stays on the back burner. And I feel like it's important to have multi-factor auth. So I was able to play around with it. The code's really clean. Um, the most popular one is called Speakeasy, but the code's not clean and I don't trust it. And I think that for something that's secure, you need clean code that you can trust. Um, and then I built a little ditty on top of it that's called Node Authenticator. I will also pick my company. Uh, until this point, we haven't, well, at least as far as the show is concerned, we haven't had something that I could publicly share with people. But the company is Daply, D-A-P-L-I-E. And you can get a little preview of what we're working on at daply.com. It's a, it's a home cloud server, social cloud server. Um, And that's all I'll say about it for now, but in coming weeks and months, hopefully I'll have a lot more to say about that. Okay. Um, Lance, do you have any picks for us? I don't know. I really like OpenVPN. I, I started using it a while ago and now I just start, I use it for like everything. Like I have a road warrior set up. So if I'm set up, if I'm out in a coffee shop, I can connect to it. I've got a VPS. Um, so one thing I like to do with OpenVPN is so I have my house, my uh, PSense firewall, it connects into an OpenVPN server out in the cloud. And then all, then my family's firewall that I set up, it connects to a firewall, the VPN server out in the cloud. So that way I can connect to their network and I've got kind of real time connections between all of that. And then, you know, if I'm out and about doing stuff, I just got a real time connection to um, my house. So I also, you know, talking about the AJ service, I've got, I'm using own cloud. And so I have my own cloud server at my house along with my mail server and other stuff. And then I just connect to my VPN on the work and I have files that uh, I want to share between my desktop and my house or my laptop. Um, I just put it in my own cloud server and it's all secured and synced up and there's no open ports on any of my firewalls. And then, um, yeah, another thing I like to do, so I host my own email server at my house, but I don't like to you know, publicly advertise my IP address in my house. So I have an open VPN connection that's running an SMTP relay back to my house from a um, VPS server. So that's just kind of another cool thing you can do with OpenVPN. So all my mail comes in and comes out of that that single source on that VPS, so it's actually being stored at my house on my own local server. So OpenVPN is definitely one of my, my favorite things. So question on that, are you using, uh, is it like an own cloud package that you use for mail, or what are you using for interfacing with your mail um i'm just using a standard postfix setup so i have i have roundcube set up and then i have um thunderbird with imap and all that other cool stuff okay so thunderbird's your main client yeah it's the main one i use you see i would do something interesting like that i mean i have a lot of stuff i could build and do but i i travel maybe five miles from my house you know during the week, I mean, if I go six miles from the house, I'm really pushing it. So I, I don't know if I would need something like that. It, you know, so, but that, that does sound pretty cool what you got there, Lance. Yeah. Another thing, too, is I have an asterisk system running on it. So I've got phone, you know, I can connect the telephones to it and other things, which is kind of neat. It's been kind of fun because then I can dial directly into, um, you know, my parents' house or, you know, some of the other people's houses that uh, are connected to it. And you can have, uh, you know, telephone conversations that are relatively, you know, private and encrypted without using, like, a uh, cell phone or anything like that. And that's been kind of fun to play with. Okay. Uh, that's, okay. Uh, Guy, do you have any uh, picks for us? Uh, yeah, just really quick. Uh, there's a security briefing just come out. Well, brief, whatever. Uh, here in the state of Utah, there's a group, ADT Security, you know who they are. They do uh, systems, right? You know, uh, physical security systems, alarm systems. There's a group going around wearing ADT shirts, and they're knocking on your doors trying to talk about selling you systems, but apparently they're criminals trying to figure out times when you're going to be home to break in. So um, when you're not going to be home to break in. So. That's going on around in Salt Lake City right now. So if you see somebody with ADT on his shirt walking around talking about uh, home security systems, uh, beware. 
He's probably not who he says he is. So uh, that one just came in about oh, an hour ago uh, that I just saw. And let's see. My pick. Um, uh, shoot. I uh, haven't. I've been pinning my house the last month, so I haven't had time to get in and play much. But there is a newer version of Hirons. Uh, that there's one of I don't know if you guys know what Hirons is. It's a uh, bootable system that you you know you put on the CD, and it's a bunch of tools that you can go and pull data off systems. You can do some forensics works with it. You can repair disks. There's a billion and one cool things you can do with Hirons, and it was circulating a couple of years ago i've actually used it to pull data off of and i'm not kidding hard drives that had been smoking you know i there were drives that went up in it's, smoke they shouldn't do that it's not good for you it's not good for them no but uh I, I mean i had one that lit up and was burning and it burned and i just said you know just let me try it and it actually i was i was able to pull the data off it so um I've been using, like, I mean, there's a million things you could do with this. It's got millions of tools and, well, not that many, but it's, it's one of those things that you can use to save your data. Um, you know, if you ever run into a real bind, you'll probably never figure out how to use all the tools that's on it. But if you, you know, you lose your passwords, you do... You know, whatever's there, you can use Hirons to uh, to pull data with. And I mean, I've had guys who've come to me and said, "Look, I, I can't find this on there. It's been deleted." And I said, "How many times? You know, I said, it was deleted and whatever." And I've been able to pull data off that has been deleted and was no longer there just because it erased the index, but the file itself was still on there until it was zeroed over. So I was able to recover stuff from that. So that's my pick. I had to use a new version of it this week. And if the site doesn't have it, there's a bunch of newer, tweaked out, freaked out versions of it that you can find out there. But uh, a definite uh, gold star from me on that one. So just, yeah, I have the link there, hiringsbootcd.org. Okay, I guess I'll do my picks then. Uh, since we're talking about VPN connections, I'm going to pick Mosh, which is a shell that will automatically reconnect when it gets disconnected. Whenever I'm connected via VPN, that's a problem that I run into. So I always use Mosh for that. And so, yeah, I guess we'll just end with that. Thanks for uh, coming in, uh, being on the show, guys. And we will uh, have another show next week. Mm-hmm.